Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brands, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 275. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. Your voice sounds good. You must have had some teeth work done. (laughs) We'll talk about that. We will, but first, on today's show, we're going to cover... Is there something that makes hair story products special? Whether you can tell how uh, vitamin C is still effective in your product, whether emulsifying wax NF is safe for use in hair conditioners, can active ingredients in a body wash really benefit your skin, and whether ingredients in nail polish are animal-derived. But first, Valerie, last time you had some sort of mouth implant, and that was uh, making your speech a little funny. You were going to get some your teeth done or something, weren't you? I had a coronation today. I am Queen V. And, so a coronation, uh, was... like that's when you get like a crown on your head or something? <laughs> yeah, uh, except they were on my teeth. So uh. I am a, uh, I don't grind my teeth per se, like they don't, I don't clench my jaw and move my teeth around. I uh, just clench my jaws super, super hard. I've never had a, a cavity in my adult life, and I went to uh, the, the jaw doctor because I've been having some issues, obviously from the clenching, and once he finally got my mouth open, he said, oh dear, you've turned your teeth into daggers. Uh, oh, boy. Just over the years, the clenching kind of sharpened and uh, created opposing daggers on my top and bottom teeth, so uh, I had to get crowns on uh, two of my four teeth so far. Wow. Yeah. You know, your your sharp teeth uh, story reminds me of a little fact I learned about dinosaurs. You can okay. tell if a dinosaur is a meat eater because their teeth are sharp, right? Yeah. <laughs> the plant eaters, well, just... they have like flat teeth. <laughs> well, I, look, I have really flat teeth uh, everywhere else in my mouth except the daggers I made in the back. And I don't really eat, eat meat, so it's, wow. it's kind of interesting, well, but yeah. Well, now that I think about it, maybe dinosaurs... They didn't eat meat. They just had a grinding teeth thing going on. <laughs> yeah. How maybe would they we just know? clenched their jaws really hard at night. It was stressful being a dinosaur. <laughs> you know, it, it was. Ooh, I do have a quick update of Porch Kitty. Guess what happened today with Porch Kitty? Oh, my gosh. She's pregnant again. No. Although, I have to say, the Porch Kitty kitties seem to have uh, left the nest because I don't see them around anymore. Oh, well, they're either in their new homes or not alive they're down another alley or something well i did see tuxedo yesterday but today porch kitty came into my house oh it's an evolution everybody i i opened the door and and porch kitty came in i I couldn't believe it (laughs) oh what did he want or she what did she want she uh just wanted to sniff around and then uh i put the plate of food down there she ate it and then she left so there you go. She was like, this This guy's pretty cool. <laughs> we'll see. She still doesn't let me get that close to her. Oh. All right. Are we ready to head into some beauty science news? Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yep. Valerie, did you see this story about uh, Charlotte Tilbury uh, offering a refillable package? I did not see this specific story but 
uh, generally I've actually pretty much stopped clicking on refillable packaging <laughs> stories because they are just becoming so prevalent. Well, in this particular story, um, you know, it was just out of happy and, uh, and uh, of course it's breaking news <laughs> as everything is, but according to them, the, their best selling magic cream trilogy is now in refillable packaging. Um, you know, they have their magic eye rescue cream and night cream. And apparently, uh, you can go back and uh, get a little capsule to put back in your jar and it's refillable. But you know, these, I don't know about these, is this refillable stuff really going to have much impact on the environment, at least the way they're making it seem, or is this theater of sustainability? Yeah. So is it rubbish or not? Um, I feel like it's very British word rubbish, but uh, <laughs> you know whether or not it, this is sustainable. It's really hard to tell because after looking at the Charlotte Tilbury, you know, website initially, I thought this was truly like a little plastic refill piece that uses way less plastic in this acrylic jar, and it snaps in. Um, but it's actually not really clear how you get to have the product be refillable. Um, it talks about how to recycle the product. You send the magic back. Uh, that's their terminology where you, uh, go to a recycling portal, you get a free return label and your empty jar gets mailed back. And then you'll get a link to unlock a code off a discount of another moisturizer. And, uh, it says magic moisturizer and refill, but is the refill something that snaps in? It's just not really clearly laid out is it an empty shipping return program is it no truly this is less plastic in our refillable jar and without some sort of environmental um assessment i know they are using a circular economy company uh, but you have to click through to a separate link to learn more there and it says it stops used in empty beauty packaging from going to a landfill okay, well, what's happening to the empty package you mail back and how is the refill uh, capsule involved? It's just, it's not very clear. So hard to tell if it works because we're not sure how it works and we're not sure of the actual uh, environmental benefit. It's not clearly laid out. You have to do a lot of hunting and I just don't think anyone should have to play detective. A lot of questions on that one. Yeah. Return. It's as easy as return, recycle, and refill. Well, I, I still have no clue how it works. So apparently, it seems it's more like easy. it's return, recycle, and then go buy another one. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. So, anyway, they've got some right. work explaining to do. That's for sure. And I really believe that there's pros and cons to everything. And so you could say, oh, well, the pro of this is I'm using less virgin plastic, but there's likely a few cons. Uh, from a sustainability perspective on this as well. And so I just go back to my old adage, if if sustainability were really at the core of your being, you you probably wouldn't buy cosmetic products, right? Right. right. Or if it's at the core of your brand, uh, you would try to sell less products, which seems discordant yeah. with the whole notion of capitalism. It's a really hard take on it, you know, and I'm a consumer myself, so I don't want people saying I'm the pot calling the kettle black. But um, no, I mean, it's just, I think a little bit of it is theater. Um, you know, at the end of the day, do these things make a demonstrable difference? I'm I'm not really sure. I, I don't think so. 
especially something like this. I mean, they showed a two ounce con plastic container. Well, you know, the amount of plastic in that, you got to add it up like, I don't know, 10 times to get one bottle of shampoo or something. So how much are you really saving with a tiny container like that? Sure, if a big tub of, you know, five gallon pails of plastic were not being used, then it might have an impact. But I don't see how something like this would have an impact. This seems to me more theater of sustainability. But I guess they're doing something, right? They're doing something. So I guess that's good. I, I just... um. You know, I'd love to see more uh, numbers behind it about the impact uh, that it's doing. Although, uh, you know, it looks like a, a nice product. Oh, well, yeah, of course, they make it look real pretty. <laughs> okay, the other story that I saw, uh, this was making all the rounds a couple of weeks ago. So I thought it was time for us to weigh in. But the PFAS in, found in cosmetics... Uh, and maybe I think we brought this up on the show a few weeks ago, but uh, I, I I saw this story, um, and then you know I saw this thing in the this headline in the Smithsonian Magazine where they say scientists find toxic forever chemicals in more than a hundred popular makeup products, and honestly, the the kind of products that I worked on um, did not use these uh, perfluorinated. Uh, materials. I worked on shampoos and skincare, and and we didn't really use any of these. Uh, so I had to look into it a little bit more, and and I said to myself, okay, well, what what products actually do use these? And uh, and looking at the uh, FDA website um, and uh, other other sources, I found that there are a few types of PFASs found in cosmetics, uh, poly tetrafluoroethylene, which is a powder and it's a binder and it helps to make the powdered cosmetics feel smoother on your skin. Then there's perfluorooctyl uh, silane, which is a color fixative. It helps to make mm -hmm. uh, color makeup last longer. Uh, perfluoronyl dimethicone, which also does that and helps uh, to keep makeup sweat proof. Uh, and then there were a couple of anti-wrinkle ingredients, uh, perfluorodecaline and perfluorohexane, which were both, uh, they're able to absorb, I guess, oxygen and somehow uh, tighten up the skin. And let's not forget about the perfluoro compounds in our favorite uh, bubbling masks. I don't know if you've ever used one of those, Perry, bubbling mask or bubbling cream, methyl perfluorobutyl ether and methyl perfluoroisobutyl ether are two really common ones that you can find. I have not uh, used a bubbly face mask. <laughs> I guess it's another thing I should try, huh? They're kind of fun, yeah. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that I wanted to point out about all of this, despite this uh, headline of toxic forever chemicals, I looked at the cosmetic ingredient review and found most of these ingredients had already been reviewed for safety and they were found to be safe by the cosmetic ingredient review board. So I'm not quite understanding what all of the uh, toxic concern is about this. Yeah, I I feel like there's a little um, conflation here and maybe some broad sweeping statements about certain PFAs or other uh, perfluorinated or perfluoroalkylated uh, substances. And, you know, I'm not an expert uh, for sure in toxicology, but that's what the Cosmetic Ingredient Review Board is for. 
uh, exactly. you know, to review the data and make those assessments about safe uh, safety for use in cosmetic products. I do know there's concern about perhaps some environmental persistence of PFAs in the environment, but there's a, a lot of products, uh, ingredients that we use in cosmetic products that have some environmental persistence or lack of biodegradability and yeah, uh, you don't see people attacking those. It's it does it seems a strange story, but I think the bottom line is there's nothing different about cosmetics now than there were 20 years ago. You know, these ingredients aren't anything new, and they're not things that people are putting in your cosmetics to make it more toxic. Uh, I the the ones that are used uh, on purpose anyway are um, not toxic, and the things that uh, they found. They found uh, PFASs in products that did not have listed PFASs on the ingredient list. So those are just uh, residual contaminations. And I think, you know, if you look hard enough, we're getting very good at analytical chemistry. Where If you look hard enough, you can find uh, almost any chemical in any, any system, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, but we'll see what continues to unfold. I think we'll see a little bit of, you know, news and then it'll trickle away and then it'll be like we never heard about it. Yeah. Uh, what's your prediction of the next bugaboo ingredient? Last time it was benzene. Now it's PFAS. What's what's coming up next? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I know one di- one four dioxanes on the naughty list still. Oh, so. that's, that's, that's coming up again. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, look for yeah. that one to be in the news again. All right, let's move on to some beauty science questions. First one comes to us from Patreon. Hi, beauty brands. Love your show. My friend has started to use the Hair Story products and swears Mm, by them. mm -hmm. Good thing she doesn't swear at them. They're super expensive, (laughs) and I'm really interested in that. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm really interested in understanding (laughs) the science behind the brand. Is it just hype? Is it better than my routine of your normal drugstore shampoo and conditioner? Thank you so much. This come to us from Julia. Well, thanks, Julia. Hair story. Oh, gosh, them. Well, first of all, as a sort of tie into the uh, the last one of the news stories, this one is they have a refill club here. So they actually have a little uh, <laughs> refill products here. Yeah. You know, a hair story, what's interesting about them. And I don't even want to say it's interesting, first of all. Okay. (laughs) It's notable. They go, uh, they operate under this pretext that shampoo is the problem and shampoo is nasty and it's the wash grease repeat cycle. That's a quote from their website. And I just don't like fear selling because of course the solution is their product. Yeah. And guess what? It cleanses without detergents. I mean, oh, how does boy. that really? work? Um, you know, Valerie, just before you get going, uh, the thing that struck me most when I went go to their website, the thing that just cracks me up, or it really bugs me, actually, it says, everything you think you know about shampoo and conditioner is a lie. <laughs> so <laughs> We're lying to you. We're lying. Apparently, the fact that you're supposed to rinse it out, that's a lie. <laughs> you thought you, thought oh you were, but it's a lie. Oh, gosh. Well, here's the other thing that gets me. Okay, so what prompted uh, our fan, and thank you so much for writing, uh, is, you know, they are super expensive. Is this something to invest in? And of course, I'm a huge believer, if you love a product, buy it, 
who cares, okay? Sure. Um, I mean, I guess who cares if they use fear-mongering as marketing. But um, what's interesting is it's $40 for eight ounces. Whoa. Okay. I I think that's a little bit pricey, especially when, when it comes to hair, because that really doesn't get you far. And then they no. have this whole tactic how this actually saves you money because it <laughs> does on. the work. It This is on their website. It actually saves you money because it does the work of shampoo and conditioner, but it's not a shampoo and it's not a conditioner. And then because your hair is going to be so much healthier, you're not going to need other products. And I, I just disagree. So I was like, okay, well, what are their ingredients for full transparency? Uh, they actually don't list the ingredient list as it appears on the packaging. They lump everything together by what they think the ingredients do. Did you did you see I, this? Theory? Yeah, that's it's a little shifty with how they're listing it, but maybe they list it differently on the packaging. Hopefully, because that's the way you're supposed to do it. But on their website, they categorize it by so they have ingredients for cleansing, and I have to say. Uh, these ingredients aren't cleansing. Aloe juice, uh, uh, jojoba sunflower oil, seed oil, sunflower oil. Ew. Yeah, right. oil, oils oh are not cleansing. Oils are the dirt that you want to get out of your hair. So that's not cleanse. That would be a conditioning ingredient. Yeah, and then well, they have these conditioning ingredients. Uh, you know, they list uh, cetyl alcohol. I don't really consider that a conditioning ingredient. Uh, sterile alcohol also is a fatty alcohol, has 18 carbons. Acetyl alcohol has yeah. 16. They're used to thicken and provide stability to a formulation. I just, I don't consider them conditioning ingredients for hair. I mean, you uh, find then, them, you find them in conditioners, but yeah, they're like, they make the formula creamy. They're, they're not really conditioning the hair. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I do just want to also point out something, uh, you know, that I don't like that they do is they have these numbers as part of the ingredient names. Uh, so it'll say like clove leaf oil one, and the one is attached to the word oil because they're trying to tell you it's an essential oil and fragrance. There's like a little legend. Oh, but yeah, if yeah. anyone listening to this podcast works for hair story, if you wouldn't mind to make those superscripts or <laughs> <Right>. subscripts <laughs> just to like break them down because... I'm like, how can calcium gluconate have the number two as part of the word gluconate? It's just very confusing for me. Yeah. Um, so I would appreciate that. And I like that um, uh, they have phenoxyethanol two as an incidental ingredient. <laughs> it's the preservative. It's not an incidental <laughs> ingredient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I don't like their whole approach now, whether or not the products uh, are good. Um you know, is the science behind the brand sound? No, these basically are just a bunch of conditioners. If you're really interested yeah. in cleansing your hair, probably not going to happen. And let's this, say this is this is a standard rinse off hair conditioner that doesn't contain silicone. So if you just took a non silicone conditioner and uh, used it on your hair, you would probably get the same results. And let's just break down the math because you mentioned you have a normal drugstore shampoo and conditioner. Let's say one pouch really does the work of a shampoo and conditioner, even though it, it's neither of those. That's $20 per function, let's say. I still right. think 20 bucks is kind of pricey. So this is really, <laughs> <Kinda>. <laughs> really, really, really a lot more expensive. And 
I would say not only, you know, are you probably fine using your normal drugstore shampoo or conditioner, budget yourself about $20 per shampoo and per conditioner and go get yourself something that works real yeah. good and uh, you'll be just proper, fine. A proper, yeah. proper shampoo and conditioner. And and if you're really experimental, just go buy VO5 conditioner and you'll have pretty much the same effect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but if you are listening and you do love Hair Story, uh, you guys can reach out to me on Instagram, either through the Beauty Brains at the Beauty Brains 2018 or at cosmetic underscore chemist. I'll hear you out. And if you work for the brand, you know what? I'll try the product. Sure, sure. my mind yeah. and my shower up for you. So. <laughs> Indeed, because that's what we do. We're professional podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall we move on to the next question? Thanks, Julia, for that. Next up comes to us from Claire, another one of our patrons. Thanks, Claire. Incidentally, if you want to support us on Patreon and ensure that you get your question answered, uh, just go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. And you can also see special events like Valerie's special uh, hair color talk that she did. Uh, It's posted up there on Patreon for patrons. Yep. Uh, Claire says, how does one tell at the time of application if vitamin C in a skincare product has oxidized or is no longer active? Well, typically you would see color change, right, Perry? I mean, that's usually usually the visual indicator. Turns yellowish, right? When Mm -hmm. things oxidize, they kind of do that. Um, But... uh, That's probably the main way. Maybe there might be an odor change a little bit. Depends on, you know, how well your fragrance is and such. But those are the two main things. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's color change. That's the biggest indicator. But I would also say that um, sometimes you just can't tell, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because the vitamin C is really in the product more as a marketing story. And the thing that makes your product work are the moisturizing ingredients, the occlusive agents, the emollients, the humectants. And they only put a dash of vitamin C in there to, you know, make you want to buy it. So even if it does oxidize, it's not going to actually perform differently for some products. Now, uh, others have different perspectives on the effectiveness of vitamin C, as we've talked about yes, before. some others do have different perspectives on the efficacy of vitamin C. Now, I will say uh, Perry does have a good point. A lot of companies do not use what I'll call significant studied levels of vitamin C or effective forms of vitamin C or effective formulations of vitamin C. And it's very, unless you make a statement claim on your label, like I use 15% L-ascorbic acid, Uh, you'll really never know if it's in there at at an efficacious level. And even if it were, uh, there's a lot of other things going on in the formulation that determine whether or not the vitamin C is going to be bioavailable to your skin, active, etc. It's very difficult to tell. Even for us, and we're pros, right? Right. Uh, Not only pro-consumers, like me, prosumer, as I call. Uh, but, you know, as chemists, it's really hard to tell if you're not actually in the lab and working on the product. So when Perry's saying you probably will never know if the vitamin C is oxidized or not, a lot of brands are not using efficacious levels and they're doing what we call label claim on a product. Yeah, often vitamin C is just one of those claims ingredients that 
makes people feel better about buying an expensive moisturizer. <laughs> and sometimes it is in there and doing something. Some sometimes for sure. We we, we hope anyway. Probably not often. <laughs> but we, yeah. We hope. All right, next up, question three. Jackie. Jackie says, Hi, I was wondering if I should avoid a conditioner with emulsifying wax NF, although not toxic. Concerned it would cause buildup on my hair and perhaps damage it. Would you happen to be familiar with it? Have you ever heard of emulsifying wax NF, Valerie? <laughs> yeah, I'm like laughing because it's like the most bogus inky name that one could. <laughs> it's one of the top three that irritate me uh, because really what emulsifying wax NF is, that is uh, an inky name, which is our international nomenclature of cosmetic ingredients that all around the world. The official names of ingredients that you're supposed to use on your labels, yes. Yeah, and as an ingredient manufacturer, you apply for an inky name and you show the chemical structures and what it's purported to do and its uh, manufacturing process and any incidental ingredients. And this organization that I feel like they kind of live up in the cloud because I'm not really sure where they are. <laughs> they say, you know what? Here's the inky name you get to use based on your manufacturing process and chemical properties and composition. Right. You suggest one, but ultimately they are the ones who make the decision. Yeah. Sometimes if you're working with a new or novel ingredient from a supplier, I get tons of sneak peeks at ingredients. That's one of like the coolest perks of my jobs. Ingredients that aren't released yet, still going through toxicology and uh, still getting their inky name. They'll say proposed inky name. Right. And then once you go to launch, they're like, oh yeah, we actually couldn't get that inky name. Here's what we got. And you're like, oh, that's not what I thought it would be. So I have to go back <laughs> to marketing. But anyway... Um, so, this was proposed, but they broke up with me. But <laughs> Yeah. So emulsifying wax NF is this inky name that you'll find on the label. And one supplier happens to have been granted this ludicrous inky name that doesn't reveal anything about its composition. It yeah. more speaks to its function. And the function is it's an emulsifying... It's wax? a pseudo wax. It's not. It's not <laughs> a wax from a chemical comp. I think it's a pseudo wax. So anyway, uh, it's waxy looking and feeling, and it helps emulsify in your formula. And that's because its composition, its true inky name that other companies have to abide by, and they they feel ripped off because they can't get emulsifying wax NF as an inky name. The true inky name is cetyl alcohol and polysorbate 60. See, Terrell, those, those sound familiar. Those sound familiar. Right? Yeah, I just feel like this one raw material supplier was so lucky and then everyone else trying to knock off this technology has to list the Terrell alcohol and polysorbate 60 on their inky labels. So uh, that's really what it is. So uh, Cetyrol alcohol is a blend of varying percentages of cetyl alcohol and sterile alcohol, which are fatty yeah. alcohols that we use as thickeners or structurants in emulsions. And, and, uh, hair, and hair story uses them too. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do. And polysorbate 60 is an, uh, you know, they say it's a mul an emulsifier. I really feel like it's, uh, it's a solubilizer. Solubilizer, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but... It has some emulsification type properties if you want to look at it from that sense. So that's what that is. So yeah. knowing that, Perry, I have no concern that it would be 
a, a problem for hair or cause damage on hair. What do you think? No, I wouldn't think so either. I mean, acetyl and sterile alcohol or acetyl alcohol is a pretty common uh, thing that you're going to find in pretty much all hair conditioners. And most uh, skincare products, right? Yeah, skincare yeah. products also. So as far as safety goes, that's that's perfectly fine. Now, the polysorbates, those are actually perfectly fine too. In fact, some of those are even food-grade ingredients, uh, which means you could eat them and, and be fine. So <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> these are not ingredients from a safety standpoint that I'd worry about. As far as building up, there's nothing in these ingredients that ha- are charged that would stay around. So... Acetyl and sterile alcohol, they get rinsed away. They have a certain water solubility. And, of course, polysorbate, uh, what did you say, polysorbate 80 or what was it? 60, yeah. 60, mm-hmm. polysorbate 60. Uh, yeah, that's it's a water-soluble ingredient, so it rinses away. So I would not be concerned that this is going to build up on your hair. Or even damage your hair. No way. Um, yeah, no I, I wouldn't be worried about that. I mean, this is yeah. so common. Um, you're going to be totally, totally fine using a product containing that. Where does a question like this come from? <laughs> like what? Like they must have heard something, right? It's probably TikTok. I have no oh. <laughs> facts to support that. I have like zero facts to support that notion. But I have found that recently everything comes from TikTok. So everything even my mom has a TikTok account, and I'm like, oh my. what? You know, it's jump the shark if your mom's TikToking. <laughs> yeah, and my mom's a grandma. So oh my. <laughs> Not a grandma for me, but anyway. Oh, right. <laughs> there you go. As far as yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think it works that way. Oh, oh that's, uh, that's that's always what I tell people. <laughs> Do you yeah, have I any can't kids? Tell people uh, that. Not as far as I know. <laughs> All right. Work, yeah. uh, no, it, it, it's not quite the same. <laughs> All right. Uh, question four. Lee Ann says, hey, Beauty Brains, love the show. I've been seeing a lot of ads recently for Olay's new line of body washes inspired by skincare active ingredients. And I'm really curious what your take is. From what I found on their websites, there are a few different versions, each based around a trendy ingredient that I most often see in leave-on serums. Things like retinol, vitamin C, collagen, and hyaluronic acid. My question is... Would these active ingredients have any effect in a product that you quickly rinse off? I've personally seen a benefit from using leave-on products that include some of these ingredients, but I'm skeptical that they'd actually do anything if you wash them off right away. Very interesting to hear your thoughts from a science-based perspective. Oh, yeah. So... You know what I love about this question, though, Valerie? I I love the the skepticism and the thinking through (laughs) that she's doing here, because this is a great question. This is what we're training all of you guys to do here <laughs> we are. on this podcast. So Leanne, awesome job. Uh, you know, um, let me give you my thoughts as a user of body wash. Do you, by the way, Perry, sure. oh, I forgot you use shampoo. I was going to ask if you use bar uh, soap or body wash. I Well, I use shampoo, but I will say that when I first started using body wash, uh, it was the VO5 body wash, which was just... We took our shampoo and we put it in a bottle and call it body wash. So. And probably <laughs> so. removed polyquaternium 7, which is a conditioning agent. Right. right. Well, we uh, I think we upped the level of SLES and cut back on the level of SLS to reduce the drying effect. But <laughs> other than that, it was pretty much the same. Yeah. 
Although my brother will tell you, I told him also like, oh my gosh, like it's the same technology for shampoos and body washes. And I think I've told this story before on the podcast and I'm turning into Perry. But um, (laughs) anyway, this was like a tingling shampoo and he like used it as a body wash head to toe and was very upset that it tingled everywhere. So uh, (laughs) anyway, um, and he didn't trust me after that. He's like, I don't think you're very good. And I'm like, and anyway, methyl methyl salicylators (laughs) or menthol. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. I actually really like the Olay body washes. It's been a while since I've used them uh, because I I make my own now uh, or I get, you know, just shampoo at work and I use that. Uh, but a non-tingling uh, shampoo, might I add. But, I will um, say, I will say that I've I've used the Olay body washes. Uh, they're they're very creamy, uh, and they don't. Yes. They're not super foamy unless you use a a little poof. Yeah, uh, which well, to me the who's, the poof is a little. It's so much extra work that you know. <laughs> who's using a body wash without a poof? That's the whole point. Well, I I have to say I have a hairy chest and I can just uh, foam it up on my chest and then use the foam. <laughs> oh, you're right. Well, I don't have that experience. Is that so. wait? Is that is that too much information? <laughs> Oh my god. This is like getting worse. Oh my gosh. Okay. But okay, so I use a poof. I've used it. I love the creamy foam from this body wash and I feel like it's really tight. It's compact. You don't get huge bubbles. What we mean by creamy foam is the bubbles aren't really big and super huge and flashing up really quick and crashing. Small, dense, and it lasts. It's like television worthy body wash foam. It's so good. Exactly. Um, so I really like the Olay body wash uh, as an aside. But Leanne, I think you're onto something. You're totally right. Uh, you know, this is a shampoo. It's a rinse off. And aside from that, these body washes are like, what, eight bucks? So right. seven, eight bucks. I mean, I don't know how much uh, retinol or vitamin C or collagen you could put in there. I don't know that the pH would be appropriate for vitamin C uh, because when you get below a pH of like 5 or 4.5, which is, you know, at the top of the active yeah. range for vitamin C, uh, you start to get a uh, cleavage of these uh, fatty moieties uh, within the surfactant. So, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, I would say probably don't buy it for the skin benefits because no. you're probably not going to get any. Uh, but it's a beautiful body wash. My guess is that these active ingredients are all going to get rinsed away and they are primarily in there to uh, get you more interested in buying otherwise very good products. But, you know, very good products don't sell uh, by themselves. You need a story and their story. You need an amazing marketer behind them. You do. It it certainly helps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Unless all of your customers were like me. And then, well, I'm not going to buy your expensive body wash anyway because I just use shampoo. <laughs> so so thank, thankfully, con- consumers are not all like me. Yeah, and thanks, Leanne, for putting on your Beauty Brains thinking cap. Indeed. All right, Valerie, we've got time for one more, and this one is going to be an audio question. Hi, my name is Helene, and I've got a question about nail polish. I am in South Carolina sitting out here on a beautiful spring day on the lake, painting my toenails with Sally Hansen Good Dot Kind Dot Pure Big Dot Nail Polish. And it's labeled vegan, and then there's little labels all around the cap. This is plant-based. It just makes me wonder, 
what kind of nail polish would be made from animals and from what part um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I'm guessing it's just a gimmick, but anyway, just curious to hear what your th thoughts are. I absolutely love your show and look forward to listening to lots more of your podcasts. Thank you. You know what I loved about that question? Uh, not only the question, but the, the the birds chirping in the background. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. You know, I bird watching is something I, I want to get into. I don't know if she was watching the birds, but it's I think sure. it's very relaxing to listen for their different calls and stuff like that. You know, here in Chicago at this time of the year, the sounds that I hear most are cicadas. <laughs> they, oh, they, wow. Those things are loud. Oh, I don't have those uh, in the neighborhood in Los Angeles I live in, but I do have a lot of different birds, and mm. there are some major bird wars going on out here. <laughs> it is crazy, and we we know like going on walks, like oh that bird hates that group over there. Like there's little fights, <laughs> wow. and you can see it, like, yeah. And none of wow, them like the knew? crows. It's like crazy, yeah. Uh, but I actually think this is a great question because. Um, First of all, I'm a huge fan of a cosmetic chemist named Doug Shoon, who specializes in nail oh, care. Yeah, Doug's you, great. You've waxed poetic about Doug on previous episodes. <laughs> yeah, so if you're a nail tech or you're really into nail health, science, you own a nail salon, whatever, Doug Shoon is the nail guru. And one time uh, I cornered him at a show and I had he answered all my questions because you know, it is a part of cosmetic science, but it's like a little different world. You know, it's like nail people are over here and oral yeah. care people are over here. Uh, adult intimate care, the real personal <laughs> care is over here. And then you have like normal cosmetic chemists. Sure, you know, it's sure. like in the fragrance world, there's fragrance and flavor and the flavor people are in the basement. The nail people <laughs> are also in the basement, but they're, yeah, they're... pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. Indeed. So it's hard to find people who are real experts on the science of these things. Yeah. But but we play we play real experts on a podcast. So let's talk about uh, the formulas of a nail polish. This is this as you said, it's a good question. Now, I was thinking about the ingredients that are in nail polish, and the only ingredient that I think that could be made from animals or animal derived is a red colorant made from the conchineal beetles. Mm -hmm. um, so that essentially you take beetles, you crush them up, you get this uh, bright red color. And it actually is one of the better red dyes that we have. But if you look at the main ingredients, so there's the solvent. That's not animal derived. Mm -hmm. There is the film forming ingredients like nitrocellulose. Uh, that's not animal derived. Uh, they have dispersants, uh, sterilconium hectorite. Uh, animal derived, Valerie, or not? No, definitely not. That's an earth mineral. Mm -hmm. Exactly, earth mineral. Uh, now, there is Mother Earth, and if you're into the Gaia hypothesis, I suppose. <laughs> but that's <laughs> still not, still not uh, animal derived. UV stabilizers and plasticizers, neither of those are from animals. So... None of the ingredients, with the exception of maybe that one dye, would possibly even come from uh, animals. So I say this is just mostly a marketing gimmick. I th I think you're wrong in that that's the only uh, ingredient, but you're not wrong in that it's the colorant is what makes it not vegan. There are a couple other um, 
pigments uh, or colorants ah. that do come from, let's say, uh, marine animals. Uh, ah, we have okay. this uh, cochineal beetle here. Um, the other thing that I can think of is uh, there's um, a nail polish. I think actually uh, Doug Shoon worked on it with uh, <laughs> CND Creative Nail Design. I think he worked with them uh, for a little bit, but they have that shellac polish. Uh, shellac okay. is actually uh, an animal base or an insect base, I should say. Um, sure, I think actually sure. all of these are insect or fish. Uh, polymer. I don't know if the new gel type polish shellac actually has uh, the insect based, you know, polymer in it that I don't know, but um, shellac historically does come from insects. I don't know why they would borrow the name if it, if it didn't. Right. Uh, right. But the last but, thing no, I can that, think of, oh, that's a very good point. No, very good point. Yes, yeah. Yes. But most, I mean, that's their proprietary patented technology. So if you weren't using a CND nail polish, uh, not, I don't know if they are vegan or not, but uh, if you weren't using that, they're not using shellac, right? Because that's their technology. Right. So I think uh, those it, gel nail polishes are based on acrylic polymers. So. M- or, most uh, of the gel nail polishes are shellac. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if it uses a hybrid of them or not, but they're sure, UV, sure. UV cured. Yeah, but yeah. the other thing, so aside from the pigment, n- nothing in the solution. I mean, everything's synthetic, uh, typically, yeah. right? But right. the bristles could be uh, animal based, which I would have a hard time believing that bristles are animal derived in polishes because uh, animal based bristles typically tend to to uptake things, and, and maybe sure, that's sure. the case in polish. I'm yeah. not sure. So maybe they're just pointing out the obvious and saying, oh, we have this vegan brush bristle and really it's uh, synthetic or <laughs> right. I don't know it's what else it would anyway. be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you you raised some good points. There are beyond the, the one dye, there are a few other ingredients that possibly could have been used to make uh, an animal-based uh, nail polish. So it's not just completely a marketing gimmick although i I think modern nail polishes you know mostly don't use shellac anymore that's old technology and you can use other red dyes so i think like the default position is that a nail polish is going to be uh vegan anyway you know you, you don't have to go out of your way to make it that so i think Maybe what the company saw is like, hey, what's a claim we can make without having to change our formula? And say, oh, it's vegan. And there you go. Yeah. Well, I will say, okay, so that's the vegan aspect of this line of good, pure kind or good, kind, pure, (laughs) whatever it's called. Oh, Perry, they call it plant-based and they leave it at that. They don't really refer uh, to what the plant-based item is. Um, it just literally, the bottle says plant-based. <laughs> okay. And when you read the full ingredient list, uh, you know, I, I think there's some things that I would say are not plant-based, like synthetic uh, flurflogopite uh, <laughs> or um, isosorbide dicaprylate caprate. I think there's probably some chemistry going on. So I think they're trying to evoke this naturalness uh, with the product. Uh, and I'm just not sure it is. Uh, isopropyl alcohol is in here. So uh, there's another copolymer. I just, uh, I don't know. And then um, I remember well, about 10 years ago, there was this five free thing yeah. going on in Oh, sure, polish. sure. The five free, yeah. 
Yeah, five free, I guess, is pretty outdated. Guess how many free this one is. Uh, seven free? 16. Sixteen. Oh, free, 16 free. Wow. <laughs> and it's 100% guilt-free. I wonder if that's one of the 16. <laughs> <laughs> guilt. Oh, oh my boy. God. Well, I I will just add, you know, I could you could make an argument if you're saying if you're saying it's plant-based and you're using petroleum-based ingredients, you know, back a million years ago or 100 million years ago, that was plants, right? And they got buried and turned into oil. You know what? Perry wins on the technicality, everybody, because <laughs> he's not wrong when you, when you look at the details. Ah, oh boy. Well, Valerie, do you hear the do you hear the music playing? That's all the time we have today. Um, that's all the time we have today, guys. Thanks for listening. And remember, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. We thank all of our patrons, and often we will thank them with giveaways and with a free Q and A with uh, patrons only, which uh, <laughs> we'll do next month. And I am totally gearing up for our first ever giveaway in the month of September. First ever product giveaway I should clarify. oh yeah the product oh looking forward to that so if you want to uh be participate that and support the show go to patreon.com slash the beauty brains and subscribe and if you're also feeling like you know what hey i love these guys let me leave them a review do that head on over to apple podcasts and leave us a review preferably a good one that will help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer and if you have a question, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com or send it through Patreon and uh, we'll answer those more rapidly. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. And we have a Facebook page. Well, thanks, Valerie. It's good seeing you. It was good to see you, Perry, and everyone else. Thanks for listening, and remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens! <laughs>